How's it going, Yankee fans? Welcome back to Fireside Yankees with your boys, Alex and Ryan. So, looks like the Yankees, Steinbrenner, obviously the whole brass, went down to Tampa and actually is discussing strategy. Now, what does that mean? What does the team look like? How? What kind of discussions do we think they're having in terms of the future of this organization, even you know near, near term and long term? We'll discuss the near term because I think we obviously know the Yankees need starting pitching support. Randy Miller of NJ.com had his own report this morning. And to be quite honest with Ryan, Every single reporter seems to be saying relative opposite things. Um, and, of course, you saw the Bob Nightingale report that said they're interested in mutual interest in Marcus Stroman. And then Randy Miller says this morning there's no interest at all. So it's like, well, who the hell is right here? Who the hell knows anything? I think right now the Inks are kind of pretty quiet, pretty cautious. They're just waiting for things to develop. The market's moving pretty slowly right now because I don't think anyone wants to give – uh, more money than what Carlos Rodon got last year to Montgomery or Snell, based on like the concerns, both coming off career seasons. The regression to the mean is certainly something that I would be concerned about as a GM. Uh, but obviously, Yankees are trying to find the right deal for them. The one thing that is consistent is that there are talks going on for Dylan Cease. The Yankees do want to take a shot at Dylan Cease. However, Miller says that the Baltimore Orioles have a better package or a better prospect haul they can give, and the White Sox are a little bit more intrigued by that. So I don't think that Cease is really realistic for us unless we really want to go balls to the wall. But, you know, Ryan, how are you feeling right now, what the Yankees might be talking about? I think they're probably competent. They're probably feeling good about where their offense is. I think their offense is, you know, given some of those guys bounce back, is going to be ridiculously good next season. But obviously, the, the question is, what do we do with the pitching? You know, how much do we need? Do we wait until the deadline, try to make a run at, you know, a guy like Corbett Burns in July, late July when the trade deadline hits? Maybe that's something the Yankees could consider to reinforce that World Series mentality. How are you feeling right now? What do you think the Yankees are really discussing? Yeah, so um, the way I look at it right now is that the New York Yankees are in a weird spot. Like, I think that they were all in on Yamamoto, and I think they thought they were going to get Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Um, and end of the day, like, they obviously ends up going to the Dodgers. Um, I'm not saying that the Yankees had no chance, but it, it does kind of feel like he was going to end up with the Dodgers. It feels like, you know, in, in the reports that have come out since his signing that he wanted to be a Dodger, he wanted to go to LA, um, and it is what it is. But um, honestly with you, honestly, Alex, like, I, I just don't think that the New York Yankees are going to be able to sit back and do nothing either, right? Like, they, they got Juan Soto. They, they want to make a, a splash. They want to make a notable addition. Um, and ultimately, like, they need to go out and do something, right? Like, whether it's in the trade market, the, the free agent market, they've got to do something. And, um, you know, looking at the trade market, I think the one thing that's kind of becoming more apparent to me over the ne over the coming weeks is that you're not going to be able to get surplus value. Like, you're not going to be able to say, all right, we're going to trade guys that don't mean anything to the organization and get an impact pitcher. I, I think teams have slowly come to the realization that typically the selling team loses the deal when it comes to a big-time trade. Um, I don't know if you remember with the Luis Castillo deal. The whole thing was that, oh, the, the Mariners gave up Noel V. Marte. That's a huge player to give up. Like, what the, you know, like the Yankees obviously couldn't match that, right? Um, and I'm not sitting here to suggest that the Yankees should have uh, offered, like, Anthony Volpe because they didn't sign a big-time shortstop. Had they offered uh, Anthony Volpe, they would be have nobody at shortstop. Um, but had they traded Anthony Volpe and signed, like, Corey Seager the year before, are they a better team right now? Like, are they World Series? Do they have a World Series title, right? Like, that's, I think that's a fair question to ask, right? Like, I'm not sitting here and trying to say that we shouldn't value prospects because I obviously value our farm system and our prospects heavily. I think that they're important, not just to, um, you know, trying to win baseball games now uh, and, and in the future, but also in the sense of, you know, they provide value for the trade market and, and you don't know what becomes available at the deadline or down the road. But if you trust your player development and if you, you know, have, 
uh, a high opinion of your player development, that of course being the New York Yankees, then they should sit back and say, all right, like, I, I don't really care if we trade, um, you know, one of our top five guys, uh, because we can kind of replenish them. I mean, looking at last year, uh, if you remember at the trade deadline in 2022, when they traded Frankie Montas, when they traded for Scott Efros, when they traded for uh, Andrew Benintendi, they traded just pitchers, really. Like, there were there was, I think, one position player prospect involved in that deal. Um, it, it was an infield thing. It was Cooper Bowman. But outside of that, it was like Luis Medina, Ken Waldachuk, uh, J.P. Sears. Then they traded Hayden Wesneski. Then they traded um, uh, Chander Champlin uh, and a couple of other pitching prospects to the uh, Royals. I think they in total traded like seven pitchers to the to, for, at the trade deadline. And then Alex, they replenished all of them, right? Like Will Warren immediately, you know, he kind of took another step forward this year. They drafted Chase Hampton and Drew Thorpe uh, in the 2022 draft, and both of them became top 100 prospects. One of them was involved in the Juan Soto deal. Um, so, you know, like the Yankees' ability to develop pitching cannot be overstate, uh, understated. It's it's really good. Like they, they're really, really good at it. Um, and I, I think that they should trust it once again. Like they should be able to say, hey, you know, I don't want to trade Henry Lillane, let's say, but... Um, I, I do believe that the New York Yankees, um, you know, could look at him and say, hey, if we offer him to a team and they really like him and we can get an impact starting pitcher back, we got to consider it, right? Uh, even Spencer Jones, like I love Spencer Jones. And I, and I personally, like we even talked about like, hey, do we want to even part ways with him? I don't know if I'm parting ways with Spencer Jones and Chase Hampton for Dylan Cease. Like I just don't have that high of an evaluation of Dylan Cease. And I personally think the Baltimore Orioles are going to end up with him. Um, but if you could end up like trading Spencer Jones and like, and, and he had signed a package for like Jesus Cesardo. Jesus Lizardo's median outcome is being one of the 25 best pitchers in baseball. Spencer Jones's median outcome is not being one of the 25 best players in baseball, right? So, you know, you have to also look at it from the perspective of what is the perceived value of a prospect? How often, like how many guys are, how many prospects have the median outcome of being an above average major leaguer? The number is not very high. Now, is the number of guys who come up through a farm system and become above average major leaguers pretty high? Yeah, like there are a lot of guys who can come up and be like solid players, but you also have to ask yourself, do they remain solid players throughout their six years of rookie uh, of their rookie contract, right? Gary Sanchez came up and was excellent, right? And then he kind of fell off after a couple of years. Uh, you have Luis Severino, who looked like he would win a Cy Young, and then it took one Tommy John surgery, and he hasn't ever been the same, right? Um, who's to say that Chase Hampton doesn't have an outcome like that, where two excellent years, two years where he is, you know, a frontline starter, and then something happens, he gets hurt, and never really pitches the same again. Or for Spencer Jones, like, what if he has a Gary outcome? Comes up, second half of the year, absolutely tears it up, looks like the center fielder of the future, and, you know, teams find something in his swing that they're able to start beating him on the fastball or something. And he kind of fades into being an average hitter and then, you know, whatever it may be. How long does he stick in center field at his size? Is he ever going to run into injury issues? It's like John Carl Stan came up and everybody was like, this guy's an injury prone player. He just had his body degrade over time and at an earlier age due to his size. For Aaron Judge, we still don't know if he's going to degrade at a later age. That was a huge reason why there weren't that many teams involved, right? Like, Unless you were a big market team that could, you know, survive the final few years of that contract where he's maybe not that good, you weren't going to be in the market for Aaron Judge. So, end of the day, I think you have to just kind of sit back and say, all right, we got to kind of go all in if that's our game plan, if that's our MO, and it's going to require parting ways with a prospect that you don't want to give up. Yeah, listen, I really, I'm really starting to shy away from the giving up prospects part of this. Um, I don't know if I'm really trying to give up Spencer Jones, Chase Hampton. I get like the Yankees consistently churn out good pitching, but you know, we just leveraged all of them. <laughs> you know, Michael King, Richard Fitz, Drew Thor. We just tossed all of them. Like, I know we consistently generate really good pitching prospects, but like, I think. 
I don't want to assume we're going to just stumble upon a couple of more fourth round, fifth round picks that become really good. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't necessarily want to take that risk. Chase Hampton has the upside to be something special. Um, I'd like to see what that looks like. Um, they held on to him for a reason throughout this entire process. Um, and I think that Spencer Jones has so much upside. Look, Dylan Cease... The, here's the main reason I don't want to go after, you know, spend a couple of big prospects on Dylan Cease. He's had one great season in five years, and I feel like we might be ignoring that just a bit. He had a 4-8 ERA last season, over 170-something pitches, right? Innings, rather. This is, um, you know, a player that has the capacity to be great, but we've only seen it once, really. Maybe twice. So I'm a little concerned, and there's only two years of control. I'm a little concerned we're going to get the bad end of that. Maybe we get one good season and one mediocre season, and in the process, we give up two of our top prospects, and then he's a free agent, and he walks and goes somewhere else. I don't like that risk, personally. Um, I'd rather wait. I'd rather go get, like, a Shane Bieber, survive with that, or, like, sign a Snell or something like that, and then try to trade for a Corbin Burns at the deadline when he's going to cost a lot less. And then, and then go after your World Series, like make that push. And then at the same at the same breath, you also know that these guys are healthy. How many times have we signed or acquired players just for them to get hurt? You get to the deadline, you got two months before the postseason, you improve the probability that you're going to get a healthy player that's actually going to be ready to contribute when that time comes. So like, I like the idea of going after a much more affordable acquisitions now and then making a bigger push that's going to cost a lot less at the deadline. Um, I'll ask you this, though. What do you think that Corbin Burns would cost in in August, right? If you're going to acquire him at the deadline, that's your that's your goal. It's going to cost a lot less than it is now, but do you think you're still giving up a top prospect for a three-month rental of Corbin Burns? It depends, right? Like, it depends on the season he's having. If he's having his 2021 season, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, like, no disrespect to anybody in the organization. You got to do it, right? Like, Corbin Burns, if you get, like, the 2020, 2021 version of him, that is one of the best pitchers uh, we've seen the last 20 years, right? Um, you put that with Garrett Cole. Look, I know that you can't guarantee playoff outcomes, but I think the easiest way to control your playoff outcomes is to have really good starting pitching. And, you know, you think about what has an, a direct impact on your win probability. If Garrett Cole throws six or seven shutout innings, you're going to win that ball game most likely. If Aaron Judge hits a home run, he, that doesn't guarantee anything, right? Like that really doesn't. I'm not saying that run scoring is less important than run prevention, but let's look at some of the teams that have won the World Series. How did the Texas Rangers win the World Series? They had two guys, Nathan Evaldi and Jordan Montgomery, sack up and pitch like aces for the entire postseason. Pitch deep into games, uh, saved the Rangers bullpen for the most part. That Rangers bullpen was very leaky, was not very good, and they were able to save them time after time. And that's the reason why they won the World Series. I'm going to be, that's exactly why they won the World Series. In 2022, the Houston Astros could not miss with their starting pitching. If you remember that series, Verlander was dominant. Javier was untouchable. Uh, Framber diced up the Yankee lineup, right? Like just having those three guys go on insane postseason runs, that spelled the sense, like that was it. No team in baseball was going to handle the Houston Astros in October. Look at the, the Phillies postseason runs, right? I know they haven't come up with the World Series, but when they've gotten it done, it's because Zach Wheeler every single year is a horse. Zach Wheeler is, and, and Zach Wheeler is like a top three pitcher in baseball. If you don't think Zach Wheeler is a top three pitcher in baseball, I think you're just wrong. Uh, but he shows up in October and he dominates. When Aaron Nola shows up, that's when they're untouchable. But when Aaron Nola is leaky, it doesn't matter what their offense does, right? 
Pitching is better in October. Teams throw out only their best pitchers. They don't start, like Clark Schmidt doesn't start in the postseason. Clark Schmidt goes into the bullpen in the postseason. That's your fifth starter. And Clark Schmidt, the starter, is an average starter. But Clark Schmidt, the reliever, is a pretty damn good pitcher. Um, so I think having an incredible like front of your rotation is important. I think that that needs to be a priority for the New York Yankees. And again, like if we just straight up what influences outcomes, if you can prevent teams from scoring, you mask a lot of issues on the team. I know that the offense was revamped, but who's to say they're not going to score like two runs a game in the postseason? We've seen great Yankee offense get just shut down. People completely ignore the fact that the 2022 team finished in the top two in runs scored and WRC plus because the Astros outright embarrassed them in the postseason. So I, I think you need to have great frontline starting pitching. Um, you know, I, I'm more than willing to part ways with top prospects for that. I just, the reason why I've been so opposed to Dylan Cease is because I just don't see him as that. I do see Corbin Burns in that light, right? Like, I think I give Corbin Burns the ball and he's going to pitch into the sixth inning. I think I give Dylan Cease the ball and I'm scared I'm going to have to pull him in the fourth, even if he isn't pitching that poorly. Something that Garrett Cole did really well last year was that, and I'm going to call this a grown-ass man performance, that dude was able to go out and let's say he only had five strikeouts in the night, still able to give you seven scoreless. I mean, his final start of the season felt like a perfect way to encapsulate his excellent 2023 year. He only struck out like five Blue Jays and he threw a complete game shutout because great pitchers don't need to have their A game to go out and at least be and give their team a winning effort. And I, I just, I don't really see that with Dylan Cease. And that's why I'm not parting ways with Jones and Hampton for him. But if I can part ways with just one of the two, I'm going to do it. Um, and you know, end of the day, like even a guy like Lizardo, like I would love for the Yankees to add Jesus Lizardo, 26 years old, power fastball, great slider, obviously injury concerns, but I've kind of started alluding to this a little more who isn't injury prone. Like even Yamamoto is going to be thrown with a new baseball. I would have been like, Hey, there's some elbow concerns there. Um, you know, Yamamoto, uh, not Yamamoto, excuse me. Imanaga has elbow concerns. Uh, he hasn't always been the healthiest starter in his career. I mean, Dylan Cease doesn't pitch deep into games. So how will he handle a higher workload? Um, Burns, right? Like Burns has ramped up a bunch of innings. Is his arm going to break at some point? You don't know, right? Like these pitchers are just extremely injury prone at this point. I'm at the point where it's just like, just go get me a top starter. I, I, and, and whatever price they pay, I'm, I'm going to be able to sign off with at this point in time. Yeah, agreed. I mean, look, the, the truth is, um, you know, I'm concerned about anyone the Yankees do acquire because all the options have their flaws, whether it be not pitching deep into games, whether it be elbow concerns, whether it be age. Like, I am, like, dead convinced that Snell and Montgomery are going to regress. Coming off their best seasons, they're going to regress a bit. Um, the Yankees either have to bite that bullet and just, you know, say we're willing to we're willing to survive with the regression if it's if it's like nominal and we get substantial value in the first two years of that contract to win a championship. Sure. But listen, here, here's my this may be a hot take. I really don't think it is. Instead of signing Montgomery or Stone, this is probably what they discussed yesterday at the meeting. Ryan, is it worth overpaying for Montgomery? Is it worth overpaying for Snell? I don't think it is. And the reason is. If you're going to give $200 million to one of those two guys, I'm waiting until next year and going after, um, like, as you suggested, you know, or whether it be a Corbin Burns or whether it be, um, you know, another guy that you suggested a couple episodes ago. And his, his name's, you know, from the from the Mets. Um, it's escaping me right now. What's his name again? The Met, which Mets player? The other, you know, the guy that you were saying, was he with the Giants? He was in the Mets Shaman picture. Shamanaya, yeah, Shamanaya. Excellent picture. No, 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 no not, not Shamanaya. Not Shamanaya. He's going to be a free agent next year. With Corbin oh. Burns. Uh, with Not Corbin Kevin. Burns? 
Oh, it's not Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman's not a free agent. Not Kevin Gosman. Oh, it's how? Oh, oh my God, it's right there. What is it? I can't oh, remember. Giants and Mets. You, you, he was a former Mets pitcher. You love Wheeler. Him. Wheeler, Zach Wheeler. Sorry, yeah, Wheeler. Kevin. That's why. Yeah, Zach Wheeler. <laughs> that's my guy, dude. Yeah, I think Zach, Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is going to be. Exactly, was going to be it, when he hits for agency. I would offer him like every like I'd offer him forty five million dollars a year over three or four years. Like I'm being so serious. Yes. That guy wins you a playoff game like every single year. Like he's he's that guy. Yeah. So if you if you're the Yankees, I think you dodge Snell and Montgomery. You go after a Shane Bieber. You acquire somebody else, um, and then you go and wait for Zach Wheeler or Corbin Burns, and you make your decision. Then if you're willing to give up three hundred million dollars for a guy who's never pitched an MLB inning before in in Yamamoto. Why wouldn't you not? Why would you not wait to acquire a player that has and is truly elite? Look, Snell is elite, but he's also wildly inconsistent, and there is major concern there about him being consistent in the future. And Montgomery is great, but he's also a he's a three guy. You know, he's your number three realistically. And the Yankees need a number a number one that can be you know the future after Garrett Cole or be one A one B with Garrett Cole because they can't rely on Rodon or they you know they have to be there has to be an insurance policy there. If you're going to spend three hundred mil on Yamamoto, I feel like you should wait and. Spend Spend 300 mil on Corbin Burns, 300 mil on um, maybe not Zach Wheeler for 300 mil, but less and obviously fewer years. He's a little bit older. So I, I don't. What, what do you think about that? Like, if, if are you willing to wait to spend big, or do you think the Yankees have to make a move right now? I honestly, I'd rather like not spend big on Montgomery and Snell. I feel like it's. I feel like those contracts are going to age poorly. Now I just want you to look at it from this perspective too. If you go out and trade for a guy, you don't have to make that financial investment and. We're talking, let's say we look into next year and say, all right, you sign Soto, which is probably going to eat up a big chunk of your payroll. Um, you know, you have Soto, you trade it for a start. Let's say you trade for Jesus Cesardo. That's a guy who's part of your rotation for the next three years. You have two more years of him after signing. Uh, you would have two more years of him after the 2024 season. Um, and unlike Cease, who's a Boris client, you can extend Jesus Cesardo and you could potentially extend him on a below market value deal. Now, again, obviously, I'm not sitting here and saying he doesn't come without warts and I'm not sitting here and saying he doesn't come without risks. I'm not sitting here and saying the Yankees are going to go up and get him. Um, but he's just, he, what I'm saying more so is the Yankees need to look at this from the perspective of how do we keep ourselves the most flexible to make additions now and going forward? And I think the trade market is it. Um, because if you can trade a lot of guys who aren't really going to impact you next year or the year after, like I would be a little bit weird about tracing trading both Jones and Hampton because I think one of the two is going to be an impact play at the very least, and you kind of need one of the two at least for your future planning. You need an insurance plan for Soto, or you would like somebody in your you know to slot into your rotation eventually, and they seem to really like Hampton. And I'm going to be honest with you, I really like Hampton, and I don't love the idea of trading my two best pitching prospects. Um, but ultimately. When you look at the rest of this system, when you look at what they've got cooking in the, the Florida Complex League, we look at how well they've done in terms of international signing. When they look at how well they've done at, you know, taking guys who are later round draft picks and turning them into impact trade pieces or impact players. I'm going to be I'm going to trust the Yankees to find more talent, right? Like you can't just find more luxury tax space. You can, however, develop more young talent. I mean, Richard Fitz, for example, it was a sixth round pick who headlined a deal for Alex Verdugo. Look, if Alex Verdugo becomes a like solid player for the Yankees next year, the Yankees would have turned multiple non-first-round picks into a reliable left fielder for the next year. Uh, Drew Thorpe was a second-round pick. Michael King was acquired for international free agent money uh, and, like, Garrett Cooper. 
and Brandy Vasquez and Johnny Brito were international free agent signings, right? So, and weren't highly touted ones. So when you look at how the Yankees have been able to acquire certain players, it hasn't been through using all their like number one overall or like their first round picks or their like, you know, their best prospect every single year. They've been able to replenish these guys and replace them. I mean, this time next year, we're going to be talking about some reliever, not this time next year. At some point in like July, Alex, we're going to be doing a video about some breakout reliever on the Yankees. Uh, we're going to be talking about like Will Warren or Clayton Beater or Juanjish Gomez, Luis Hill, and how they've been such a good young reliever for the Yankees and they have multiple years of control or whatever, because that's just what the Yankees do. I know that people don't like the Yankees player development. I know that people hate on it. They don't like it. They're like, we never develop good players. Again, how many top prospects become superstars, right? Like the Yankees don't have a chance to draft you know, a Jackson Holiday because they don't have the number one overall pick. They don't get a chance to draft Adley Rushman because, again, they don't have the number one overall pick, right? I'm not saying that every single good player is number is a number one overall pick, um, but what I am saying is that the Yankees have worse draft capital than most other teams because they're always good. So uh, the fact that they've been able to find trade pieces in the first place, the fact that we're sitting here talking about, hey, can the Yankees go out and trade for Dylan Cease or Jesus Cesardo after trading for Juan Soto after a year before trading literally their entire pitching part of the farm system for a bunch of players at the, at the deadline and also how many deals have they quote-unquote lost and they haven't given up anything that hurts you right like the best player they've probably traded away is Tyro Estrada I'm really not going to be distraught like I, I think I'm at the point where it's like we can avoid making that like you mentioned that six or seven year commitment that financially burns you um and you can still end up with an impact pitcher and somebody who isn't going to cost a lot either so if you were to say trade for Jesus Cesardo it's not a lot of money towards the luxury tax we're talking about like four or five million dollars in luxury tax salary maybe because of arbitration and then on top of that you can end up going out and let's say signing an impact reliever get a guy like Robert Stevenson maybe two guys what if you can end up with Robert Stevenson and Jordan Hicks I mean then your, your pitching staff stacked or you go for a back-end guy you go out and you you know you spend a little bit of cash here on like a James Paxter and Hinjin Ryu to just be your six starter whatever it may be it gives you more financial flexibility. And then, of course, next year, Corbin Burns hits the market or Corbin Burns at the trade deadline, right? Like, that's a possibility. Imagine you can go out and you can form a rotation where you have Garrett Cole, Jesus Cesardo, or Corbin Burns, Jesus Cesardo, and Carlos Rodon entering postseason. Alex, you're going to win the World Series. Like, I'm just going to tell you right now, you'll win the World Series with that. So I think that making a trade at this point in time is more advantageous for the team because I'm just not interested. Like, Snell and Monty are not 170 or $180 million pitchers. I, I, I can, people can clip this. They can say it ages poorly, whatever. They're not $180 million pitchers, and I'm not giving them that money. I'll go out and make a trade. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat as you. I'd rather trade um, than acquire those two guys simply because those contracts are like, they just scream regression. Um, you know, if we have to give up Chase Hampton, between him and uh, Spencer Jones, I'm going to give up Hampton, Hampton just simply because of like what you said. We do generate a lot of really great pitching prospects comparably to position players. I would love to keep both. Preferably, we'd keep both. But if 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 the future looked like getting Luzardo and Hampton was headlining the deal and you could keep Spencer Jones, you get Luzardo, you get a really great bullpen arm, and then you sign a guy like Burns or Zach Wheeler in free agency next year, and then you bring Juan Soto back – you know, you're talking about that, uh, you know, that obviously world, you know, World Series caliber operation there. You're looking at a team that can do special things for a very long time now, especially if Rodon bounces back. So I like that path. I think a lot of people want that satisfaction right now. And I think you, you can still get it by acquiring a guy like Lizardo, you know, acquiring a really good bullpen piece. And then you maybe if you if you have to, you make a deal at the deadline to reinforce your position uh, to contend. Um, and the next year, you have the opportunity to go spend a crap load of money. And look, the, in the Yankees, at the end of the day, if they can stay below that, that luxury tax threshold now, 
you can probably convince yourself to spend a little bit more next year um, and go after, go over it a little bit more. So that way, you know, in the future when the contracts come off the books, you kind of just are replacing those dead, those dead contracts. So I think the Yankees do have a decent plan here. I think it's more about like not taking the unnecessary risk. If they if they were going to take the risk, I think that we already would have seen Montgomery and Snell come off the board. I think we would have already seen them sign. Clearly, we haven't. But we'll see what happens, my friends. We'll keep you guys updated on all the news and rumors. As always, make sure to like and subscribe. And we'll catch you guys on the next Fireside Yankees episode.